And God, we come before you. Um, God, we want to recognize your work in the ministry of Acts 4. And God, thank you for, um, for Don and Laura. And thank you for, especially for Laura's just untiring commitment to, first to you, to serve you, and to that ministry. Um, and Lord, I pray for the both of them that you would continue to pour into their lives your spirit and faith. And just, you would allow them to see you at work continually. Um, not only in their marriage and in their family, but in their ministry. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts to your word, um, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable uh, in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So last week we were looking at uh, Nicodemus and his story. And Jesus kind of laid it out for him. He says, yo, Nick, man, you got to be born again. This whole thing is just not going to work for you. So we're going to kind of pick up that story in chapter 3 of John, if you want to turn there. I'm going to start um, I'm going to start right in the middle of a paragraph. And this is right after Jesus um, says to Nicodemus, listen, dude, don't be so surprised that this is, this is what's going to happen. Um, and, he, and he says this in verse 8, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus continues to press into Nicodemus to kind of reveal what's going on. And he said, listen, listen spiritual rebirth is a divine thing. It's a God thing. And anytime you have God involved in anything, there's a degree of mystery that takes place. And he says, listen, think of the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. Now, back then, they didn't have ISO bars and they have Doppler. They didn't have all that cool stuff that tells us where the wind comes from and where it's going. But, but he says, there, there's, there's a, a degree of mystery to the wind, but you can still feel it. It has a force and it has power. And so it is with people who are born of the Spirit. There's a force to be reckoned with. There's, there's a power. There's this mysterious thing that takes place, but it's as real as the wind. And Nicodemus, he's like, what? How can, how can this be? And Jesus says this, verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify of what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus says, Nick, listen. I'm going to tell you some truth. Listen up. You don't understand this. What, what is going on in your head? Okay, maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit. See, I believe Nicodemus actually knows what Jesus is talking about. He knows about spiritual rebirth. He knows that when a Gentile comes to convert to Judaism, there's a spiritual rebirth that takes place. Nicodemus understands that. See, I believe where he's getting hung up on is the fact that he actually needs spiritual rebirth. See, he has, he's been playing by the rules all his life. He's been going through all the traditions all his life. He's been doing all the rituals, following all the laws. Why in the world would he need spiritual rebirth? And this is the thing that's, that's catching him. And Jesus is like, listen, if you don't, if you don't even get this, this simple fact of you need to be spiritually reborn, how are you ever going to understand the deeper things of heaven? 
How are you ever going to come to the realization of who I am if you can't even get, if you can't understand that God wants to do something new in you? And so after this dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus, we get to the, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. And then we heard it during worship this morning and Acts 4 video opened with it. It's John 3.16. But before we go and we look at this verse, I want to lay some groundwork for it, okay? So let's turn to Exodus chapter 15. And we're going to bounce through a, a couple of scripture passages. I just want to lay some groundwork here. I'm going to read verse 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. So Moses is singing about God. He's saying, God, in your unfailing love, this love for your people that's not going anywhere, that it will never fail, that it will never change, that there's no certain degree of it. There's an unfailing love that God has for his people. And out of this love, he is going to guide them. Out of this love, he is going to strengthen them. So God, for his people, the Jewish nation, has this unfailing love. Turn to Exodus chapter 34. I'm going to read in verse 6 and 7. This is where Moses asks to see God. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. The angel of the Lord is proclaiming this unfailing love of God for his people, that he, he, he loves thousands, that he's going to forgive wickedness, he's going to forgive these people's sins, he's going to forgive the rebellion. God is loving his people. But verse 7 says, uh, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children of their sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is talking about not the people of God. That God will, will th those other people, God will punish them for their sin. But for his people, he's abounding in love. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God is telling his people, listen. It's not because you were the biggest, the brightest, and the best. God chose you out of his love for you. And he's going to keep his promises to you out of that love. It's nothing that you've done. In fact, your, your own salvation didn't come from anything you did. It comes from the love that God had for his people. Jeremiah chapter 24.
It's more scripture than we looked at like in a month. I'm going to read verses. um, I'll start in four. The word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of Babylon, the Babylonians. Jesus is talking about his people, that, that he allowed them to go into Babylonian captivity. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people And I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. God is telling his people, listen, even though things look really bad for you right now, I am going to watch over you for your good. I am not going to, excuse me, destroy you. I'm going to plant you. I'm going to establish you. You won't be uprooted. God, out of his love for his people, is going to take care and watch over them. Last one, Ezekiel Chapter 37. Here we find the kingdoms are divided. Verse 22, it says, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over them, over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any other of their offenses. For I will save them from all their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. God is going to bring his people back together again. And he says, listen, I'm going to watch over them. I'm going to protect them so they don't get themselves into trouble again. And I am going to be their God, and they are going to be my people. The Jewish nation has promises upon promises of God pouring out his love on them. He disciplines them out of a place of loving them. He protects them. He he watches over them. He establishes them. This is the love that God has for Israel. Now, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Many scholars agree that in the Gospel of John, there's, there's, there's this bounce back and forth of, of John uh, recording dialogue that's taking place, and then John will share some of his own thoughts, his own meditations on that. This is, this is one of them. Now, it's very difficult to figure out where dialogue begins and ends and where the, the meditation of the writer begins and, end, be, begins and ends, because in the original text, there are no quotes So it's up to the translators to figure out where dialogue begins, where dialogue ends. Okay? Now, in this specific text, the scholars are kind of up in the air. We know that the, that Jesus begins to speak in verse 10 of chapter 3, and then some scholars believe that he ends in verse 15. Other scholars bring it to Jesus' dialogue ends in verse 21. The TNIV, today's new international version, is the version that I preach out of, 
they have the dialogue of Jesus ending at verse 15. So, the, so John 3.16, for God so loved the world, they don't credit to Jesus as saying it. They credit to the gospel writer as saying it. But here's what I believe. It doesn't matter who said it. It's in the Bible and it's the word of God and it stands as truth. And so here's the word of God. For God so loved the world. Now, this single statement is a shocking statement for the Jewish nation. They, they would have a lot of trouble trying to understand this. Nowhere in ancient Jewish text is this idea of God loving the world. God loves his people, but, but God loving the world, that means God loves not only the Jew, but God loves all of the creation and God loves the Gentile. Gentiles would be people, anybody who is not a Jew. And how can God love the Gentile, when, when he loves us. Now we've looked at the, the scripture verses of, of God loving and loving Israel and doing all these things for Israel. This is a very hard idea for the first century people to get their minds around that God would actually love everything. But for us Christians, we've, we've had this idea in our heads for a long time. We read right over this. It's a very popular verse. We just say, of course God loves everything and everyone. I mean, it's in the New Testament. For God so loved the world, he loves everything. But for the Jew in the first century, this is a radical statement. This is something that would have had a lot of trouble trying to get their mind around. And, and, you know, I think in part for us, I mean, we know it intellectually. God so loved the world. I mean, we get that. But if, if we really put the rubber to the road, I think we have a lot of trouble. We can have trouble kind of understanding that. Okay, so if God loves everyone. Remember that dude, Jeffrey Dahmer? He was a serial killer. He took dudes into his apartment, cut them up, and put them in his refrigerator. God loves Jeffrey Dahmer. There were a bunch of men on 9-11 who flew airplanes into buildings. God loves those men. God loves the terrorists. The people who commit horrendous acts of hatred and violence against innocent people. God loves them. When I was a network administrator, I worked for a human service company, a nonprofit agency, and they had a program that dealt with sexual offenders. And I would have to come in and I'd have to kind of, you know, work in and around all the computer systems and they would take these handwritten reports and they would have to put them into the computer. So I was privy to some of this information about these, these men who would molest young children. Horrible, horrible stories. God loves those people. And so if we think about this, God's love is perfect. There, there, is no, there is no degree of his love. Like he loves us a little bit more and he loves those people a little bit less. No, no, no. God's love is perfect and complete. So that means God loves those people as much as he loves you and me. And you know, we get that intellectually. Yeah, of course. But, but man, you want to you, you just think about that for a while? How can God love those people? The text says that God so loved the world. You see, we don't understand how wide and encompassing the love of God really is. Now listen, I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm not talking about our eternal destiny. I'm talking about God's love for the world. 
God's love is not confined to a religious movement. God's love is not confined to a nationality or some elite group. God's love does not ebb. It does not flow. It's not emotional. It's perfect. It's complete. And I would argue it's even somewhat scandalous. For God so loved the world. In fact, the scriptures tell us that that God is love. Go to 1 John chapter 4. It's all the way in the back, right before Revelations. Um, Chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, we have to understand something here that that God, that love, I'm sorry, that love does not define who God is. It goes way deeper than that. God defines love. And so if he defines it, that means love is, is this divine thing. It's a holy thing. It's mysterious. It's perfect. It's complete. It doesn't ebb and flow or come in degrees. And it's also scandalous. That the love of God is all these things. And we have to just, we have to just get our minds around those words to describe it. I believe that we don't, we cannot begin to understand God's perfect love. All we can do is throw that word and we understand kind of what perfect is, but we'll never understand the perfection of how God actually loves us. And it's very different love in, in, in our world than what God has. Our, our, we, we have this thing, as much as we don't want to think about it, our love is really conditioned on conditions. You're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You're patient with me, I'll be patient to you. And even, even in, our, in our best effort, like somebody really gets under your skin, right? You know, you just want to point in the eye and, 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 and you don't and you say, I'm going to love them. It's almost sometimes comes from a place of pride, like, ha, 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 I'm loving them. Oh, you've been there, huh? Uh-huh. Because... In our world, our love is conditioned, not with God. God's very nature defines what love is. And God so loves this world that he gave. See, God's love initiated. It began something. It started something. And and he gave out of this divine perfection this mysteriousness to the world. And he gave it a time when his creation, his own people did not accept or love him. God loved without any immediate return. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I would imagine it's kind of like a newborn baby. Newborn babies have nothing to offer. They, they really don't. They, they, all they can do is throw up on you, fill up a diaper, and keep you up all night. I mean, let's be honest. They're cute and all, but, but ew. I, Sandy works at a, at a daycare, and I asked her one day, I was like, how was your day? And she kind of went, oh, not too bad. You know, it, it depends how much schmutz was on her shirt that she would have a good day or a bad day. But, but newborn babies really have nothing to really offer. But yet, when a parent holds their child for the first time, there is this intense intense love that happens. And, and, and maybe, maybe 
if, if we can liken it to something, that's the way God felt for us. He knew he was getting nothing in return at that time when he loved the world. In fact, even today, two-thirds of this world that we live in will never love God through Jesus Christ. But yet God continues to love. So many people, if I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody that, that said, um, well, you, you know, I have my own feelings or belief about God. Well, I would have a lot of dollars because they fail to engage the love of God through Christ. And so they miss what God has offered. For God so loved the world that he gave with a scandalous love. He gave Jesus. In this one sentence, we can see the entire Gospel of John summed up. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. The limitlessness of God embracing all humankind with no return has now given Jesus Christ into the world as a profession of who God is. Saying, listen, I want you all back. Here is my son. Not only does God love everything, God gave everything. The love of God cost him his own son that he gave to the world. His one and only has this idea of of his unique son. There will never be another Jesus. This is what God gave. You know, God can demand anything from us. In an instant, he can have your job, he can have your money, he can have your wealth, he can have your health. In an instant, God could demand your very life. But I believe if we can, if we can say this about God, that there is a desire in God, one thing that he will never demand, that he will never take. And I believe this is why he sent Jesus. There's this one thing that God would desire so much from us. And it's that we would love him in return. And you see, he's never going to demand that from us. I think that's just a characteristic of his love. He's never going to demand, you love me. Look what I did for you. And this is how you treat me. God would never say that. But it's his desire that through a relationship with Christ, that we would come to a place of loving God. And so, you know, I was thinking about this whole idea of, okay, God loves us, and I, I get that, and, and we're supposed to love God, and I get that, but what would it cost us? I mean, what does it really cost us to love God? I mean, does it cost us fun and excitement? Does it cost us, like, partying? Does it cost us, like, some good old-fashioned debauchery? Ain't nothing like a weekend of some good old-fashioned debauchery, you know, just like you wake up Sunday morning, like, wow, what happened? You, you know, and, and, so, and so does it, are these the things that it costs us to love God? And, and, and I'm like, I'm saying no. And I really wrestled with this idea of our costs. I mean, God's love costs. So, so what's it cost us? To love God. And, and, and literally, during the week, I just put everything aside and I spent an entire day just thinking about the cost to us for relationship of God. How do we love him? I mean, what's it cost us to love him? In our brokenness and our sinfulness and all of our junk and in the fact that we can never do it perfectly like he does it. But, but what is the cost to us? And here's what I came up with. 
The cost is that we will have to give up a life lived in hopelessness because Jesus is our living hope. You see, it's going to cost us a life lived without a divine purpose because God has a purpose for each one of our lives, a divine purpose, a, a, a plan to prosper us and to give us a hope and to give us a future. The cost to us is a life lived without joy. See, and, and I've said it before, God isn't interested in our happiness. Happiness is based upon circumstances. God wants joy in our lives. God wants us to overcome our circumstances. God doesn't want us tied to them, but he wants the joy that he has in us. And so the cost to follow, to love God is a life lived in hope, is a life lived in purpose. It's a life lived in joy. And it's a life lived in freedom. We no longer have to be anxious. We no longer have to live in fear. We no longer have to live with the past hurts. Those things could be healed. This is the cost of following God, to loving God. Now listen, I don't want this to sound like some grand old crackerjack Christianity, you know? Everything's all nice and sugar-coated. You get a nice little prize inside. I know that none of us will ever achieve that, that perfect hope and joy and purpose in our life. We ebb and flow through it. And, and, you know, we have our mountaintop experiences and we have our valleys, but this is what I know that as we press into God, as God has loved us and we press into loving him, we come into a deeper place of purpose in our life. We come into a deeper place of joy in our life. We come into a deeper place of purpose in our life. We begin to walk in a deeper freedom in our life. Ultimately, we have life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That word perish means to to destroy, to put it into, to ruin, to render useless, to be lost. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. I stand firm in my belief that the love of God is for our eternal destiny. I stand firm in my belief that the love of God is also for today. That we today can know that joy and that purpose. That we today can know the hope that's in Christ. And so, what, what does it look like for us? I mean, what does it look... Okay, God loves us, and we know what that looked like. He gave us Jesus. It cost God his own son to die on the cross, to have his, his beard ripped out of his face, to be, to be beaten with, with, uh, with whips, to be nailed on the cross, to have his uh, side stabbed with a spear. We know what it cost. And, and we know that, that, that is, is the love of God just for our benefit? Is all just about us having a hope, us having a future, us having joy, us um, having, uh, living in freedom? Is it all just about us? How, what does it look like when we love God? If God's love is an active love and it costs him and God's love made a difference in the world and God's love has made a difference in our lives. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
and you have the love of God in your life, then you have been changed. There's things that have taken place in you that have shaken things up in you, that have brought you peace, that have brought you a hope, but you have been changed. That's what, that's what it does in our lives. And so God's love, it heals and it redeems and it meets needs and it brings life and it changes stuff. So what, what's our responsibility? What's our response? Let's go to... Uh, First John again. Dear friends, verse 7, chapter 4 of 1 John. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. The text says, listen, if you love, you know God. And if you don't love, you don't know God. God's love redeems. God's love changes things. God's love brings life. God's love cost him. Now, this text is very interesting because it's talking about the church, how the church is to act with one another. And it says that, listen, nobody has seen God, but if you love, then people will see God. And it's talking about how we're supposed to treat each other in the church. But I'm going to take this and say, no, no, no. It's not just that. It's how we treat even the people outside of the church. Now, you might say, well, you can't do that. That's, not ta- that's, that's adding to what the text is saying. You're absolutely right. Well, you shouldn't do that. You're absolutely right. I'm taking it out of context, te- context and I'm twisting it to the way I want it to sound. No. Here's my basis for that. If you are in a relationship with God, you're going through this thing called progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is this idea that every day, a little by little, you're becoming more and more and more like God. You're on this journey of faith with God. And through Jesus Christ, you should be becoming more and more like God. That means you have God's heart. That means you have God's desires. That means that, that we're to love. And God's love, remember, remember God's love. It changes stuff. It heals. It meets needs. It, it, it proclaims. It costs him something. And so, here's my verse. If we're becoming more and more like God, this is what I have to back myself up with. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus so that the world could know life. And so, for us to love like God loves, we are to love the world. And share Jesus so the world can know life. And the love of God heals things. And the love of God redeems. And the love of God meets needs. And the love of God brings life. 
There's a, there's a verse in chapter two of James and I love the way um, the message translates it. It translated, translated like this. That God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. And so what does it mean for us? For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to us. And what's our response? It's not just about us. It's about us loving a world the way God loves the world. It's about us having the heart of God. And we're gonna celebrate the communion table this morning. And it's, it's a reminder of what God has done. It's a reminder of what it costs God to love us. It's a reminder that this ain't no joke. We have been called to love the world the way God loves the world. And so as we um, move through communion, um, I'm going to invite you all just to uh, take the elements, come back to your seat. We'll take it together and um, we'll have a a quick little meditation and then we're going to end with a song.